0: This is Rob Swigert. I'm the author of Mixed Harvest: Stories from the Human Past. This is a book about a uh, book of stories about human history uh, from about 60,000 years ago in Europe, when the first modern humans encountered the Neanderthals, to around 2000 BC with the emergence of cities and empires. In southern Mesopotamia. After that, it's written history and we understand that a little Hmm. bit
1: better. I'm Bob Cudmore, and this is the Historian's Podcast. Mixed Harvest is an historical novel about prehistoric times. The author is Rob Swigert. Uh, Let me tell you what I think uh, is your background, and then you can fill in if it's not right. Rob Swigert has been a technology journalist, technical writer, computer game designer a poet, futurist, and uh, archaeology writer. He is currently a fiction writer, a grandparent, and a sometimes urban rambler. Is that you? That's me. It struck me from looking you up. I hope you don't really get too mad and hang hang up the phone right away. But I said, this man is older than I am. I'm uh, 74, (laughs) approaching 75, and you're a bit older than that. You're just a kid. Yeah, I am. I'm I'm approaching 80. People are always busting on you. So you, you remember the prehistoric days, no, but you don't. <laughs> what is your background in archaeology?
0: Uh, my background in archaeology, aside from an early interest in classical archaeology, which almost became my graduate training, I got interested in, in the Maya and Mayan archaeology because my father, when he was about my age, went uh, down to the Yucatan, and we got into conversations about it, and I got intrigued, and I spent a lot of time visiting archaeological sites in Central America, Honduras, Belize, uh, Guatemala, Mexico, and finally wrote a book about it, which came out in 2005, called Shibalba Gate, a mm-hmm. novel of the Classic Maya. Uh, It was published actually as an archaeology textbook Mm -hmm. by an archaeology press. Uh, That led me to be interested in a place I had visited in 1999 called Çatalhöyük in central Turkey, a Neolithic site. I knew nothing about the Neolithic and I was astounded and I must say somewhat dismayed by the way people lived during that period, and um, got more and more intrigued by it, and was then invited to be novelist in residence in 2005, and uh, the book that came out of that, called Stone Mirror, a tale of the uh, novel of the Neolithic, came out in 2007. So that's my background in archaeology. Hmm. That in turn me led you- to Mixed Harvest.
1: Uh, d- Tell me about Neolithic. I don't know anything about that either. I've heard the word, but... And why were you dismayed about the Neolithic time?
0: I will explain it. Okay. Uh, Chatalhoyuk is uh, a mound about 60 meters high. in uh, Out in the open, it's just empty space around it. Uh, a lot of agricultural land now. Um, digging into it started in the... Uh, 1960s, I think, uh, uncovered a dense agglomeration of houses. Uh, these are actually more Pueblo-style um, clay brick um, structures, about 25 meters in size, all uh, built right next to each other. So there's no space between the buildings and no party walls. Uh, each house built its own walls uh this meant that there were no doors because everything was surrounded by walls so the entrance was through the roof hmm. uh and down a ladder into the home right uh, next to the oven so these were these small very very smoky um fine plaster walls uh and, uh, there was a lot of, um, carbon on the rib cages of the burials, which meant that these people had been inhaling a lot of smoke. And I imagine there was, uh, a fair amount of, uh, lung cancer and such, no mm-hmm. direct evidence of that, but it looked bad. So I just couldn't believe that people would live in conditions like this. Uh, it seemed, um, intensely uncomfortable and, uh, unhealthy. Mm. Uh, so everybody's walking around on the roof uh, to get home. So there's a lot of tramping around upstairs. And uh mm. it struck me as, as a strange way to live. I guess so. Did
1: would you ever change that opinion? Or did you come to some realization as to why they did it? Or they were happier than you thought?
0: Uh, <laughs> Why they did it, I'm I'm not sure. I don't think it was uh, because they were surrounded by enemies. Um, there was some agricultural land somewhere nearby, but mostly it was pretty far away. They were surrounded by a lot of uh, natural uh, abundance, plenty of animals. It was uh, by a river, um, plenty of waterfowl, and. Uh, fish and such in the, in the water and lots of plant life. So I think it was a, a rich place to, to live. Uh, why they started building the houses right next to each other, sense of community maybe. Um, uh, perhaps it was uh, uh, a way to share the labor. They, there was a, plenty of clay nearby to make the bricks, which they sun-dried and uh, quite quite big. And then uh, they they built the walls up from these things. This is in Turkey. It's near Konya, which is central Anatolia.
1: And I believe in this book, your stories illustrate something, again, I'd never heard of. And it took me a while to find this on the, the Internet. But I found it, ultimately. What was the sedentary divide? And why was this such an imp- Important moment in human history.
0: The sedentary divide was a phrase that I uh, thought I had read somewhere, but when I asked the archaeologist in charge at Chatalhojuk, he said, "No, he'd never heard of it." So apparently, I made it up, unless I did read it somewhere and he didn't know about it. The sedentary divide is that period during which humanity adopted agriculture, and it kind of happened worldwide over a period of about six or eight thousand years. Starting maybe twelve thousand years ago, up until five, six thousand years ago, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, before that, people followed the food, and people we lived in small bands. Uh, we traveled around, uh, following the food where there were uh, ripe berries, or where the salmon were running, or where there were. Um, migrations of, uh, reindeer or deer. And, uh, we, we had a fairly healthy lifestyle, um, because it was all, uh, high fiber diet, uh, not too much meat, um, and, uh, wild, wild plants. Uh, then we, um, started settling down through a number, a kind of perfect storm of uh, events, including Mm -hmm. a change in the climate, uh, which got warmer and uh, very abundant, lots of animals running around, especially in the Levant and the Near East. And uh, it became easier to just stay in one place and pick stuff off as it came by. And somewhere along there, somebody discovered that if you dropped some seeds on the ground near the house, the plant would grow up. And they went apparently. So planting plants seemed to be uh, a good way to grow food. And it was uh, very attractive because it seemed like it was going to be an easy life and uh, uh, much simpler. It didn't turn out quite that way. Mm. So sedentism became a way of life. And uh, that changed a number of things for mankind. Mm -hmm. Uh, For one thing, population went up, partly because uh, farms require a lot of labor, and a lot of labor requires a lot of people, so making more people seemed to be a good idea. So population increased, and these towns grew fairly rapidly. Unfortunately, it also meant that animals were living as they were domesticated. Animals were living in close proximity, and uh, diseases started to jump from animals to people, so-called zoonotic diseases, Uh, and um, so infant mortality went up, uh, a lot more uh, labor. Then you had private houses, and I can talk at length about all of this, but um, houses concealed what people were up to, which meant that they might be hoarding things inside, and we got the ideas about private property oppression of women for instance because you had to worry about inheritance as the house lasted longer than a generation mm-hmm. and life changed considerably during this period before the sedentary divide we were low impact small bands uh not a very high population living a fairly l- healthy lifestyle which lasted for perhaps as much as 200,000 years maybe more. After that, we were all settled down. So we had become completely sedentary. That's why I was calling it the sedentary divide.
1: And in fact, that's the way things still are today. I mean, there are some ethnic groups that still have a hunter-gatherer lifestyle, but I mean, in large part, we're all sedentary.
0: We, we are all sedentary, <clears throat> except maybe the Hadza in Tanzania. Uh, okay. Except that they wear uh, you know, football jerseys and uh, uh, trade their uh, hunting produce, sometimes giraffe, for instance. I never knew people ate giraffe, but I guess there's a lot of neck there. I uh, imagine. They would trade that with the farmers around them for marijuana, apparently, among other things. So they're, they're, they're half, half sedentary, but they still keep right. the hunter-gatherer away.
1: You say that you may have invented the phrase sedentary divide, and that maybe that's why I had trouble finding it on the Internet, but I did find sedentism, and you used that word not uh, a few minutes ago, yes. which yes. is the same thing in a way. I mean, this is what, uh, settling down, picking a place, living in it permanently, I'm reading here, for at least part of the year. It's uh, related to how a group gets required resources, a nomadic population transitioning to more permanent settlements.
0: Exactly. And it was very easy to build a small hamlet of houses next to each other that you used uh, probably during the winter when you couldn't be farming and uh, then went out and uh, camped in the countryside with either your herd animals like your sheep or goats or with the crops mm-hmm. um, so, so they weren't and I think that's where I changed about Chateau Hoya because they probably weren't in there all the time they were out uh, uh, roaming the countryside so it was I, I changed my mind a little bit about it it's uh it seems less uh, onerous than I my first impression
1: let's say maybe a theme of your book mixed harvest stories of the human past is this sedentary divide or sedentism uh, humans starting to live in in uh, communities um, how do you uh, approach this in your book which is a work of fiction right I mean what's what's going on here
0: yeah well um the the origin of the book was in a series of seminars at Çatalhöyük in the late aughts, uh, I think between 2009 and
1: 2011. Place in
0: Turkey? Yeah, I was kind of invited to join, uh, although I, I wasn't contributing because it was a group of philosophers and uh, anthropologists and archaeologists who were sharing the latest research. But the, but the project of the seminars was to discuss the role of religion in the origin of the city and i thought if you were going to do that you had to know something about what happened before the sedentary divide before the neolithic which is the new stone age uh and it's uh marked by uh initially houses and then square houses and that's another issue uh as well as some refinements in stone tools and so on and eventually the invention of pottery So that's the Neolithic, the New Stone Age, and that's used mostly in the Near East. I thought that we needed to know what happened before. So I started exploring Paleolithic religion, which is um, highly speculative, but we have a lot of cave painting in France and Spain. So I started going to uh, caves and uh, I visited a lot and trying to understand what went on with those uh, paintings of animals in the caves, and my best source for that is a guy named Jean Clottes, who's a French prehistorian. And uh, his take on it is that it's it's uh, the religious part of it is is shamanistic, and he talks about a shamanic flow, where some peculiar individual in the community, the community being a band, had access to realms. Of reality not available to other people, normally uh, contact with the dead or a way to see into the future, and largely perhaps for healing purposes. So the shamanic thing was just a, a an individual matter. Not a he wasn't a particular, in, particularly important leader of the group, but somebody set aside and special, uh, possibly because of his psychological makeup. So I wanted to know what happened with religion before that. But then it turned out I had to know also about the lifestyle. So that's what I've been talking about. Mm -hmm. I think that what happened during the uh, Neolithic was the consolidation of religion into more uh, kind of human like entities that controlled things like the weather, things of importance to the community. And there are some uh, wall paintings at Chatalhoyuk that uh, depict uh, what's happening to the wild animals from the Paleolithic. The the horses, the aurochs, the um, mammoths and rhinoceros and so on that are painted on the walls of the caves. uh, Kind of down to just um, uh, the aurochs, the bull, the last uh, really savage wild animal left. Most of them Mm. had gotten domesticated by then. Mm. And then what happened afterwards, because we had the origin of cities as the towns grew, they began to encroach on each other. uh, And we got a whole lot of entailments from that, like having to build defensive walls, having Mm -hmm. to create huge irrigation systems. This is mainly in Southern Iraq. And, um, the, the emergence of uh, units of fighters in order to defend or uh, attack other uh, towns. So we had the emergence of cities, mm-hmm. which initially were controlled by the temple, which was called in Sumerian the uh, Egal, the, uh, the, the, the big house, the god's house. And every city had a god, that um, a, a humanoid god that uh, adopted the city and became the leader of it. But as conflict increased, uh, a kind of political hierarchy also emerged. So cities became very hierarchical and uh, um, much more uh, stratified, and uh, patriarchy emerged, and a kind of uh, liturgy, uh, a religion of the book with with a priestly class, Mainly for political control.
1: Just wanted to find out a little bit more about the book.
0: It, it's written, or your
1: PR statement is that through a first encounter between a Neanderthal woman and the modern human, she called Traveler to the emergence and destruction of the world's first cities. A lot of words in there. W- what is a Neanderthal as compared to a modern human?
0: Okay, the Neanderthals were the dominant human species in uh, Europe and Asia at the time that what are called anatomically modern humans or Cro-Magnon arrived from emigrating out of East Africa. They had communities, they, they had hunter-gatherer communities, uh, different uh, style of hunting. Uh, and when the modern humans arrived in Europe, they they encountered them because we now have About 3% of our DNA. Most Europeans comes from the Neanderthal. They're a cousin species and they're all gone except for Mm -hmm. this 3%. And I just was, I, I just wanted to understand the story of mankind from that period. I'd like to know more about the migration out of Africa, but that's another area. And I thought an encounter between the two and I think when I started writing this, we didn't know about the DNA would would be a good starting place for understanding how modern humans—that's us, Homo sapiens sapiens—came uh, to dominate and then create what we call civilization. And so that's the, that's the first story in the book. The stories are based on what I could learn about the periods that I'm writing about. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to create stories that grounded this in human experience and Mm -hmm. creates what I hope are stories that are emotionally engaging. Because I Mm -hmm. think that this story, we have to recognize ourselves in these people. So it's not a history book per se. It's a historical fiction or Mm -hmm. prehistorical fiction, which is a category
1: Yes, it is. Uh, I mean, how could be anything else? I mean, this is you've got no, unlike, say, somebody writing historical fiction about the 18th century, they can look in books and and see what people wrote and so on and so forth. But here, isn't there or is there a, a greater reliance on making things up?
0: Um, my comment about archaeology is that it, it, it is like science fiction. It is speculative. It is grounded in some science. There is There are prehistorians who study, for instance, the artifacts, uh, carvings or tools, particularly initially the stone tools uh, or horn, bone tools. And um, the cave paintings are enormous in France and Spain and, and uh, th- they're very similar in style over the course of tens of thousands of years. Mm-hmm. And all over Europe, they're very similar. So I, there's some kind of general culture that had emerged in what one book called the creative explosion. So there was clearly contact among the bands and probably exchange of people and uh, a kind of common culture had emerged. Did they all speak the same language? Um, Probably a lot of variation, but there must have been some commonality. We don't know. But we have artifacts and we have uh, the evidence of the paintings and we can deduce from that uh, some things about how they lived and So it's not entirely made up. There's real stuff. And some of the stories are about specific cave paintings uh, or about uh, things about hunter-gatherers that we know from ethnographic evidence uh, from the 19th and 20th centuries.
1: Let me ask you this. Was the the Neanderthal woman or the modern human more likely to have... Become uh, sedentary, you know, settled in a what we eventually became a city.
0: Yeah, that's that's a good question. The problem is that the Neanderthals died out, and the reason for that used to be that that uh, the theory was that modern humans killed them all. Uh, That doesn't seem to be the case. Uh, They had a slightly different um, uh, style of of surviving. Of hunting, they hunted. They were adapted mostly to hunt in uh, forested, uh, kind of hilly terrain, and in pairs. So much more uh, close quarters hunting. Mm-hmm. Uh, modern humans had a facility for social organization, and were able to create uh, large groups that could hunt, uh, herd animals in open country, um, and. Because of those two differences in lifestyle, uh, as the climate changed, in particular, uh, their various interglacials and so on, um, the modern humans were a little bit more successful. And the Neanderthals were gradually driven as the ice came down uh, around by... Between forty and 20,000 years ago, I mean, nobody knows exactly when the Neanderthals disappeared uh, Mm -hmm. because they didn't leave that much evidence behind them. Some people say 40,000 years ago. I've read as much as 29,000 years ago. The last Neanderthals just disappeared. There just weren't enough of them to maintain their population. Mm. Uh, Humans, by the way, also had reached a bottleneck at one point and nearly died out.
1: Let me bring up, we've only, uh, and on the historians, we've talked some about uh, prehistory in terms of Native Americans. And most note, the only guests I recall that dealt with this, I'm just kind of curious if you know them. Do you know the Gears, Kathleen O'Neill Gear and W. Michael Gear? They're archaeologists who've written 60 novels about the prehistory of North America.
0: Uh, I do know about them. I think I might have one or two of their books somewhere that somebody gave me, but I haven't read them. Um, but uh, it, it's it's rich. It's a rich area. And what's really interesting about the American uh, situation is that initially, the Clovis people were the ones who first came here about mm-hmm. thirteen thousand years ago. And that date keeps getting pushed back. Really? And Lately, it was back to 16,000 years ago. And now I've just been reading things suggesting as much as 30,000 years ago. Uh, yeah. And I had written something speculative suggesting that, kind of a jokey thing. There, there was ev- There's some slight evidence in South America of people 30,000 years ago. So I think that people had been kind of wandering in here in small tassels uh, for a long time and probably were dying out because there weren't enough of them. Uh, mm. So we're not quite sure yet now when they started coming in here. But that these areas are all changing very rapidly as more people get into the field and we learn more. It's, mm. it, it's wonderful. I, prehistory is a delight. How's and the book doing? i fiction writer, which uh, I, is- I knew. I wish I knew. They, there's, I have no way of finding out. I keep trying to say, how are we doing? But I think it's doing okay. It won a prize. so.
1: Oh, what prize did uh, you win?
0: It won a Gold Nautilus Award, Better Books for a Better World. Uh, well, it's a prize.
1: It's true. And it it's something you can say that your book has, has done.
0: I was, I was happy about that.
1: Rob Swigert is author of Mixed Harvest, Stories of the Human Past, published by Bergan Books, Available on Amazon and uh, elsewhere. Uh, Thank you very much for joining us. And you're out in the San Francisco area? I am, where the air is good today. Terrible uh, fires and so forth. Hope you do all right.
0: Okay, great. Thanks very much, Bob.
1: You've been listening to The Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Fudmore.